0: Good morning. Kevin Meyer is doing his part right now to support, uh, summer missions trips by being on a fishing trip up in Canada. It actually was when we did the global fiesta this spring, if you remember, and one of the things was they get to go, they could bid on and raise some money for missions was to go up with a bunch of guys to Canada and go fishing. So, in fact, one of the highest things was to be in the same it's most expensive was to be in the same boat as Kevin. So hopefully it was worth it. Hopefully they're enjoying that. Honestly, tough job he has, right? So he, we have been going through a series called Jesus Still Heals. And um, he asked that in his absence, I continue with that series. And so today we're going to look at a passage in Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 9, verses, 16, or verses 18 through 26. If we could, can we take a moment and pray before we get started? Father, I, I thank you for being a God that's involved. Spirit, I know you're in this room because you dwell in us. You said the, Your word says you dwell inside each of us. And so, Father, I pray that you move. I pray that you, and Spirit, I pray you move. I pray that you move in the hearts of those that are in the congregation Father, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth are, are words that are chosen by you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's read let's read uh, this passage together. And as you're flipping through it, I just want to say, one of the things that gets me excited about preaching is the stuff that happens before this. Whenever I'm about to speak, kevin kevin meyer and i get to spend some one-on-one time together kevin meyer is our lead pastor and it's so much fun usually he says kevin speak on something that's on your heart and and i have the opportunity to share what what i'm dealing with and this time he asked me to continue in the series but what's great is that we get to sit down with each other whether it's at a restaurant um or in his office and and look at the passage and so for this, this series, as we're looking at it, he said, Kevin, what, what's God saying to you as you read through this? And then he shares with me what God's been doing with him as, as we read through this. And it's fun because I've seen this passage multiple times. I've read this passage multiple times. But it wasn't really until I sat down with Kevin until I started picking it apart and saying, God, in these eight verses, what is it that you're telling me? And when I, when I did that, and I came up with three questions I had to ask myself. So let's read it, and then we'll get to those questions. Matthew 18 verses, or Matthew nine verses 18 through 26. It says, "While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, "My daughter has just died. but come and put your hand on her, and she will live." Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw, saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put aside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. The first question I had to ask myself as I was reading this passage is, what's keeping me from receiving the healing of Jesus? And that question comes from other passages. So if this story is told in Matthew, and Matthew as he's writing the gospels, his his big idea is to tell us who Jesus is. So as he does that, he, he doesn't really go into detail. He has this broad picture of this is who Jesus is. Now Luke, on the other hand, is, is different and is more detailed. So this this story is found in Luke chapter eight. It's also found in uh, Mark chapter five. And as I began to research some stuff, I started to question, who is this ruler? And I read Luke and Mark and I realized and I find out that this guy's name is Jairus. And those passages tell us that that Jairus is a leader in the synagogue. So Jairus isn't just a, a leader, he's a religious leader. In fact, he's a religious leader, and many of us know that Jesus didn't surround himself with leaders of the synagogue, right? In fact, many times when you see leaders of the synagogue with Jesus, it's them saying they're trying to, trying to question Jesus and trying to trick him and get him to answer the tough questions. So the question then is, what caused Jairus? to leave that and go to Jesus. And in fact, it says that Jairus fell down on the ground in front of him and pleaded with him. I I think we know what it was. And if we read that passage, it's his daughter was dying. And as a dad of three girls myself, I can't imagine what that would be like. But it was enough to get Jairus from the spot of, okay, that's Jesus. I follow the true God to the point of desperation where nothing can get in the way of that anymore. He needs to listen to what the Spirit is telling him, and which is, this is God. This here is the medicine that's going to save your daughter. It took something like that to get him to leave this spot. And go over there. What's getting in the way of receiving the healing of Jesus? Last week, I was headed down to my sister's house to um, hang out and meet with her, and and my dad is from Pennsylvania. In fact, he still is out in Pennsylvania and uh, with my stepmom and. And, but he works for a company in Iowa, and so he travels every once all around and all these different things. And he's, he was down at my sister's house, so I had to, was looking forward to go to see him as well. And I was driving down and just about to Cannon Falls, which is about 40 miles north of Rochester, and I received a phone call, and the phone call was from my dad. And he said, "Your sister just called the police because my my stepmom's name's Karen, and, and she's suicidal. So the police came and took my stepmom to the hospital, and and I was on my way down to Rochester. So I started to head down and." And I didn't know how much of that I was going to share or or whatever, but I want you to know that this question, what's keeping me from receiving the healing of of Jesus, is a real question for myself. Because sometimes I get caught in this moment where I'm a pastor, right? I, I know what Jesus has for me. But for whatever reason, I don't do this. In this case, we got down. I got down to Rochester and saw my dad and my sister and my brother and sister-in-law, and, and we sat and we talked. And we talked. And we talked, and we strategized, and we kind of tried to come up with these great ideas of how we can see her through this and how it's going to get better. And never once did I say, hey, let's pray about this. You see, in my family, there's there's two of us who are the churchgoers or the Christians or the religious ones. And, and for some reason, I was uncomfortable. So what's keeping me from receiving the healing of Jesus in that time, during that time? It was I was afraid to ask. I was afraid to take myself out of that comfort zone and ask God to intervene, knowing full well the power that Jesus has. What's keeping you from receiving the healing of Jesus? Another question that I I had to ask myself is in the moments of interruptions, or in the moments of a task, in the midst of chaos, how do I handle interruptions? In the midst of all this stuff going on, how do I enter, uh, handle interruptions? And this, this is interesting, as I read, and Kevin originally titled the pat, this uh, message, Healing, let's see, what does it say? Interrupted Healing. And he really focused on, on this part when we were talking, and, and it made me think about this. So here's Jesus. Jesus is in this, in this crowd where he's teaching. And if you read a couple ahead, you see that he's, he's teaching and, and uh, he's casting out demons. He's doing all these different things. But at this point, there's a crowd around him. There's a crowd around him. And, and in walks Jairus. So Jesus is here and, and in walks Jairus, falls down at his feet and says, My daughter's dying. You know what it says Jesus did? It said he got up and went to his house. Jesus, in the midst of doing a task, got up and went to his house. What are you like in the middle of a task when you get interrupted? When I was hired at uh, Wyzetta about seven years ago, one of the cool things I got was a um, a Mac. You know, an Apple Mac. And I was really excited about it. And over the years, I now have a MacBook Pro. And the MacBook Pro is great because it runs everything that Windows will. Because I can put Windows on it. So it's it's good. But it allows me to do so much more. I can make all these videos I can do all these things it looks cool it's in this cool metal case it's just a really cool machine and I love this machine I take it with me it's portable it's, it's all good as much as I love that machine my wife hates it she would much rather with she would much rather me still only have a desktop because the portability of my MacBook it really gets in the way of our relationship sometimes see i i take it home and i could tell you i sit and just do work all the time but i take it home and it also browses the web and i'll be sitting there looking sometimes working sometimes browsing the web and my kids will come up i have three beautiful daughters and they'll say, hey Dad, look at this. And I'll say, No, just wait. Just wait. Or, Dad, I gotta tell you a story. Just wait. Or Teresa, my wife, will come and want to snuggle up and I'll say, Just wait, let me finish this. You see, no matter how big that task is, or or Small that task is, I'm in a task. And I'm a person that's very much, this is my task. If I move off this, me coming back to this, it might not happen. So I'm in my task. And when you come in there, that's an interruption. And I don't like it. So we see that Jesus responds to the first interruption of Jairus by by going to his house. He says, and the disciples came with him. But then something happens again. As Jairus is walking with Jesus and they're heading, it says this. It says, a woman in the crowd reached up and touched his cloak. Now, Jesus, is. if you look in Mark uh, chapter 5 or or Luke, it paints some more details. And it says that when she did this, Jesus stopped and he said, who touched me? And his disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. You're in this crowd. You're walking. People are bumping into you. What do you mean who touched you? But there was something different about, about that touch. You see, it also tells us that this woman was, was subject to bleeding. Which was an unclean thing, a thing that would separate you from the crowd. Not to mention she was a woman who already separated her from a crowd. But not only that, it tells us that she was a hopeless woman. But you know something? She had hope for one moment. Because she wasn't going to stay in this spot and not receive that healing, which was question number one. She reached out and touched it. She had enough hope. She knew that if she just touched his cloak, she would be healed. So they're walking on all the way to Jairus' house. She's, she comes up, touches his cloak. Jesus stops says, who touched me? Jesus again pauses. He is not on the first task anymore. He's already moved on to the second task. But he pauses. He stops. He says, Who touches me? Who touched me? You see, Jesus. Jesus was about to heal the girl. And it, and it wasn't just a healing of the physical problem. By Jesus pausing He also said some things. He said, don't fear. Your your faith has healed you. He publicly acknowledged this outcast. He publicly acknowledged this hopeless girl, and by doing so, restored hope in her. Are, Are you willing to pause? I know sometimes I really struggle with it. I know I really struggle with it. So Jesus stops. He restores her fully, not just physically, but, but also He restores this hope in her as He pauses. Now imagine. Imagine being Jairus in this time. Imagine you have already left this spot where you've reached out and said, okay, I'm forgetting this. This is, this is not working. I'm going here to meet the real God. I'm going to get the medicine. I'm going to get what I need to heal my daughter. And you're walking and you're on your way and then Jesus stops. Imagine what that felt like for Jairus. I mean, what's going on? Why are you interrupting what I need to have happen? And it doesn't really elaborate too much into to how Jairus felt about that. But imagine, it would be like calling 911 and having some emergency happen, calling 911. They're on their way. And they say, oh, we're just going to pause here. We're going to pause here. And in fact, you know what happens? People come to Jairus and say, your daughter's already dead. Don't even come anymore. Your daughter's dead. But he did. He kept walking and Jesus was walking and walking. And and they end up at the house. So what's keeping me from being like Jairus and reaching out? What's keeping me from being like that hopeless girl, that hopeless woman, and knowing there's something right there. Why am I willing to do this, but not this? In my, at my in-laws' house, they have this picture, this portrait, this painting, um, which I, I should have researched and looked up the name for this painting, but, but the painting, if I describe it, maybe you'll know, is of God. And, and God is on a cloud reaching Himself out. And he is fully extending himself to Adam, to mankind. And in the other corner of the portrait is Adam. And Adam's going like this. For many of us, we're really comfortable doing this. But what's going to take it What's going to have to happen for us to go? God, I fully rely on you. Jesus, I'm fully counting on you for that healing. I'm going to extend back. What's keeping you from the healing of Jesus? What are you like in the middle of a task when you're interrupted? The third question that I had a ask myself as i read this and the spirit was moving in me as and working on me and ripping things up and but the third question is what what rules religious or or not do i have to be willing to give up in order to do real ministry what rules, what things do I need to be willing to give up in order to do the most good? Jesus gets to the house. He's walking with Jairus and his disciples. And, and he gets to the house and he's greeted there by, by these flute players and these mourners that are making a bunch of noise. And what that's all about is during that time, you would, you would hire professional mourners. You would hire people that would be sad and wail and weep and come out to your place. And, and that's what's happening there. And Jairus, as a, as a um, leader of the synagogue, probably had a large group of people mourning. So they mourn because the girl is dead. Right? There's there's no doubt there. That's why you have mourners. The girl is dead. So then Jesus walks in and He says, No, she's not dead. She's just asleep. What? What? Jesus was breaking a rule. Jesus was saying that rule that everything's done when you die doesn't exist here. That that when your time on earth is done, really, it's, it's not. In this case, it's not. Jesus... Kicks them all out. Goes into the room. And breaks rule number two. Or another rule, not necessarily rule number two. But he reaches. And it says he takes her by the hand. You see, at those times you weren't to touch a dead body. But Jesus broke the rule of the religion. To do what was right. To bring life back to this girl. He walks her out hand in hand. When I first was hired at YZ, I, uh, before I even moved up, I called the guy. His name is Dick Swenson. And Dick Swenson um, was a realtor at the time. So the question, And he was also on the elder board. So the question I had was, okay, you know how much they pay me. How am I going to afford to live up here? Right? So I called him and he said, Kevin, we'll make sure you can find a spot. So this relationship that started as him as my realtor has now blossomed. And Dick is a true friend, a mentor, a um, just just a good guy for me to spend time with. And he's also 30-plus years older than me, and I'll remind him of that sometimes. And, and at other times, he'll remind me that he's 30 years older than I am, and I don't know what I'm talking about all the time. But it's a great relationship. And, and Dick, from time to time, will uh, you might see him up here, might hear him in the hallways, whatever. One of the things that he's passionate about, and, and you can't spend much time with him and not hear this is about being in relationship with people, with all sorts of people, with people that don't know Jesus. And one of the times, one of the rules that we we had to break to make this happen was um, we were playing cards at the time. We were playing uh just whatever, cards. And, and Medina, at the same time, like seven years ago when I came out, there, there's this new game that became hugely popular called Texas Hold'em. And Texas Hold'em is a poker game. Well, many of us in this room probably have different thoughts about the word poker. You know, it, some might stir some emotion inside of us. So when Dick, who was just off the elder board at this point, called and said, Hey, Kevin, how about every Thursday night we go and join this league where we play poker? I was surprised. But we did. We joined the, the, the um, APL, Amateur Poker League, which is a free poker, um, poker tournament kind of thing. And each time we would, we would get together, and he said, Okay, this is how we're going to do it. We are going to get there half an hour early, and we're just going to pray. We're going to ask that God places us at tables with people that we want to get to that that we need to get to know, and and, and at the end, we're going to come back after everyone's done. We watch the winner, and we're going to pray for the people that we met at our table. So we did it. We. We gathered there half an hour early and began to pray. and Then we came back and sat in his big truck and and began to pray for these strangers that we didn't know. But we just spent an hour around a table with them. And then the next week, we did it again. And we did it again. And soon these people weren't strangers anymore. Soon we could pray for them by name. And then we'd do it again and again. And and no longer were we praying just for their name. We were praying over their story. Because relationships were being formed. I will never forget... This league they have all over the s- suburbs, and they moved from. Uh, they added an extra night from Medina to um, American Legion in Wyzetta, and I was there, and Dick was there, and Dick was still in the game. I was out of the game by now, but but so was a guy named Sam, and Sam was an admiral in the Navy, and we were talking, and he said, "You know, Kevin." Sometimes it still bothers me the number of lives i commanded to be taken. Do you think God will ever forgive me? That's a relationship that never could have happened if we weren't if we if i wasn't willing to break that rule of religiousness so that this could happen. We we have these rules. We have these unspoken rules. For, for some, it's, it's you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do that. The other rules we have is we need a house. It's the American dream rules. We need a house. We need to have a couple kids. We need to send our kids to college. We need to do all these things. And, and soon as we decide that we are going to live according to the American dream, according to these rules, that sometimes... Get in the way of ministry, of what we're really here to do. Not necessarily bad stuff. It's good stuff. But is it what God has planned? What rules, what things, what, what under, what's going on underneath that's keeping us from doing ministry? Jesus could have walked there and said, yeah, I can't come. She's dead already. So I'll go back. Jesus could have walked there and said, oh, she's dead, I can't touch her. I'll walk back. We could say, yeah, I don't associate with that people group. Do you know what might happen if I'm seen there? Do you just know people are watching me? What rules do I need to break? And what rules do you you need to break in order to do real ministry. So as I read this passage, these are the three questions the Spirit laid on my heart. What what do I need to do to receive the healing of Jesus? What, what is my character like? Who am I when I get interrupted while doing a task? And three, what rules do I need to give up in order to do real ministry? It's cool, one of the things that I know is as I read that passage, there were different things that Kevin had on his heart. And they were things that the Spirit was doing through me and the Spirit was doing with him. And, and some of us in this room, those aren't your three questions. For some of you, it might be a different question on there as you read through that. For, for some of you, it might be one of those specific questions that you really need to deal with. And you see, being a Christian is to be Christ like, to be come like Him. And, and many times, that's what we strive for, and we sense sometimes that we're not there. And so, in our, in our way of doing, we write out this plan. If I do this, if I do, then that will get me here, which will get me here, and I will get to Jesus. And we try to do all these things in our worldly know-how. But the Bible tells us that it's the Spirit that that reveals Jesus to us. So what's the Spirit saying? I know if I could go back, or when I sit down with my dad, I will say, let's pray. The Spirit is putting that on my heart. Part of receiving that healing is allowing the spirit to move. And as he moves, it's just to respond. What is God saying to you? Where is God telling you to respond? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are an awesome God. I thank you that you're big. That you're in control. That you know um, the workings of my heart. Father, I pray, I am thankful that you've given us stories where we can read and, and see what life was like for you and the steps that you took, Jesus. And, and Spirit, I pray that you move. I pray that you convict in a holy conviction. I pray that You move amongst each one of us and that, God, we would respond. Help us to be willing. Help us to be moldable clay. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.